0: From KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WNBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and Biketalk.org worldwide, this is Bike Talk. Bike Talk. Taylor. Hey, hey,
1: guys. Nick. Hey, Seamus. We when have you? some special guests here today.
0: We have three guests from three parts of the country. And we're yes. all
1: celebrating Bike Month. Mm-hmm.
0: Bike Month, yes. Bike Month on a Zoom. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs>
0: we should be in person on a bike.
3: I did just get back from a nice bike ride, though. No flat tires this time. Very good. Hey, what did you get for your birthday? Hey, thanks for that shirt. Taylor got my <laughs> Bike Talk shirt. It's really cool. I wore it on my bike ride um, the other day. Very good. F- but we got to pass these on to our guests too, eh, Nick?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now we got to send everybody Bike Murders. Talk shirts. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Speaking of merch, we got Rio from Detroit.
5: How's it going, everybody? How's it going? Welcome, Rio. I'm doing great. I just came from a bike ride myself. I just came from, well, I was driving, but I was selling some lights at a bike ride called the Soul Roll. hmm
3: mm-hmm. It's every we've,
5: Monday and Saturday in Detroit.
1: We've had a lot of people on from Detroit recently because we're now on a radio station there. We were talking about the Joe Lewis Greenway, and and one of the guys said there's like 80 organized bike rides every week in Detroit. Is that right?
5: I wouldn't say 80. or It's 80 different clubs. Oh, man. I couldn't put a count on them, but there's definitely about eighty clubs where I know about sixty of
3: them. Wow, mm. the names oh, of the of the bike clubs, Motown Trailblazer Bike Club, and the Soul Roll. The so far the the words that you're using in Detroit are, are far superior to what we have going on in Los Angeles. I will take a moment to admire that, at least for sure. I'm,
5: I mean, but don't y'all have the Venice Beach Light Parade? I,
3: no, it happens. I mean, we're just talking about the the names, the
6: creative soul ride. Come on. Yeah.
5: The soul roll used to be like the aftermath ride to the Detroit slow roll. Oh. And when the slow roll here abolished, you know, people were looking for things to do. So mm-hmm. the soul roll is skyrocketed. There were probably 100 and 150 people out there at Easter Market earlier in downtown wow. Detroit easily on Monday. That's easy. Tell me
1: where you guys meet and what time.
5: We meet up on Mondays at the Soul Roll at Eastern Market Shed 6 and roll out at 7. And that is hosted by D-Town Riders.
0: Okay, so you are Motown Trailblazers Bicycle yes, Club?
5: F- founder and president.
0: T- can you talk about Pushing Pedals?
5: Pushing Pedals Sundays, and we start June 4th. We're starting a little later so I can give some of my uh, newer members some experience going on other like more experienced rides. Because a lot of my members are first-time riders or they haven't rode in 10, 15 years. So we aim to provide bike safety, education, and also like promoting Black-owned restaurants here. And because the restaurant scene here is so eclectic, we wanted to put emphasis on bringing income into our you know, primarily Black community, where I want to say Detroit is 80% African-American. But the black dollar only stays in our community a minute or two. And so we want to just bring a little more equity and equality and knowledge into our community via bike safety. So we're starting at Ima, a Japanese restaurant that's black owned. So we're starting there in the city sponsoring the ride. We start June 4th. And yeah.
1: That I was gonna say that's the first time I've heard that. Expression about the black money stays in the black neighborhood only for a minute or two. I yeah, it's not long at that's all. That's a great way of looking at it. I've I've never thought of it that way.
5: Yeah, it, it's and not you know just make it solely about race. Just yeah bike culture. But I'm just saying it from where I remember when the Detroit Greenway Coalition put the bike lanes in my neighborhood first. Todd Scott, and the Detroit Greenway Coalition. We've been supporting them since the beginning of our organization. Like they were saying last week on the show, where it's at least like 26 to 30 miles of greenway coming, we'll be showcasing the greenways, we'll be showcasing different murals, we'll be showcasing different landmarks in the city and things of that nature.
1: You know, one of the things we talk a lot about on bike talk is that people on bikes spend money. People on bikes, you know, stop at their neighborhood and shop. And so when you stop at a chain store, the money goes right out of the neighborhood. But when you stop at a at a locally owned Restaurant, clothing store, bar, the money stays in the neighborhood longer. I, that's, that's great. I love that.
5: And then it shows people who you might not be from Detroit or you might be from the suburbs and coming in. It's also showing the safety of the city as well. We have a reputation here media-wise. I've been, lived in Detroit for 32 years and I've never been robbed. I've never been harmed. And I've lived in Detroit, like literally I've been here my whole life. I don't really see the, a lot of the issues that people see. I've been able to cycle here, and it's never been an issue. And I'm everywhere here, and I see more of my elders riding. Like, my father just passed away. He was 70. He was a cyclist. I think the most danger he got was police brutality here. The uh, police clipped him off his bike.
0: Let's bring in some of the other people in this call, although we could go. Yes, I think we have to have you back. Romel Pasquale is the executive director of Ciclavia, which is the premier open street event in the whole country, something like that.
6: It's become very big. You know, it's, we take cars off the road. So imagine 10 miles, eight miles of iconic streets and boulevards in Los Angeles. And we do it in different parts of the city and region. We have one coming up in Watts and that will be our 46th event since 2010 and done probably over 270 miles of streets in our history. And we average anywhere from, you know, 25, 50,000, as many as over 100,000 people that attend. 80% are usually folks on bikes. We've taken cars off the road and it's an opportunity for families, individuals to explore, re-explore, reconnect with these neighborhoods that make up LA. Mm -hmm. The first question you ask someone when they're Visit L.A. or is where do you live or where are you from? And we'll say we're from Hollywood, Venice, East Side, West Side. You know different parts of the Valley. We're a city that's made up of over 120 distinct neighborhoods. Siclavia, Over the past, you know, 12, 13 years, we've probably touched more than 65 of those neighborhoods. And we've had 2 million people, over 2 million people participate. And so I like to say it's the most joyful Sunday in Los Angeles. And now we're doing them every five weeks. So we have one in Watts on the 21st of May. And then four weeks later, we have one in South LA, which is um, the Juneteenth Ciclovia, essentially to represent and, and celebrate Juneteenth. So when we say, what does LA look like? When you have a sea of cyclists, pedestrians, skateboarders, and, and, and others, it's happy traffic. That's what it is. We all know this as cyclist. When we're on the bike, we tend to listen as much as we look around. Oftentimes, you hear the ambient noise of a car or a truck or a motorcycle or anything loud. I think on a ciclovia day, you, you hear a different sound, and that's really the sound of community. You hear folks talking, and you have the Ciclavia effect, people just talking, saying what a great day it is. And you can go on our website at Ciclavia, C-I-C-L-A-V-I-A dot org. And then in 24, we'll be doing Ciclavia events every month in different parts of, of the city. We move.
3: We don't stay in one neighborhood all
6: the time. We just move around deliberately
3: is there a relationship of the choice of these various routes to the the mobility plan
6: we really try to highlight the streets that have high injury networks you know the sharing of a street a public street that's for everyone often is a challenge and we unless there's a protected bike lane or cars are slower we don't people don't feel safe
3: i've always wondered if there's a way to implement the entire network in one massive ciclovia, ciclovia that just connects and realizes the whole active transportation network in Los Angeles, all, you know, infinity miles of it. We can dream. I -hmm. believe that the will is there. I think it's also
6: just a function of resources and time. I know LA has got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of streets, miles of streets. Tens of thousands. You know, we have over 90% good weather days in, in Los Angeles, so we don't suffer from that. What we try to do is to try to create civic engaged advocates of active transportation when they are at a Ciclavia, right? We're yeah, not of, a, of like regular people, right? Just yeah. Regular folks, you know, we're not anti-car, right? But we know that Ciclavia happens on a Sunday. You have a different perspective as a driver on a Monday on the same streets that you're on as a pedestrian, as a runner or as a cyclist. And you're in the middle of the street when we're doing this on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. We're not relegated to the right to the or to the sidewalk. You're in the middle of the street as if you're a car. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping, and we, we hear this a lot, is on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, following a ciclovia, people's perspective as drivers are changed a little bit. You begin to see things in a different way. Just like you do when you're on a bike. There's a different sense of appreciation. And I'm hoping that that, translates into, if not advocacy, just an increased awareness.
5: The via sounds extremely similar to the slow Roll. how a lot of our rides here operate.
6: We close the streets so cars are not allowed on the street. That's um, awesome. And we have different hubs, which means there's areas for families and kids to play and, and find activities from, you know, in Watts, we're going to be having a whole host of art and sports and you know, we're going to play basketball in the streets. And this is in the middle of streets that are, you know, obviously driven by cars and, you know, 35, 40 miles an hour. when and does
5: we'll, the event end?
6: It goes from nine to four.
5: 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. 9 a.m.
6: to 4 p.m. You should come oh, out, Rio. Yes, I absolutely yeah. want More than happy to host you. So come on out. There's a lot of activities. You get to see really LA in a different form.
0: We're going to bring in Marjorie Kohan from uh, the Berkshire Bike Path Council in Western Massachusetts, in the Berkshires. Marjorie has done a lot for bike paths in Pittsfield for how long, Marjorie?
4: 22 years.
0: To bring at least one path, right? The Asher Wiltecook.
4: Well, the path is from Vermont to Connecticut. So we have pieces all over that are in the works. But yes, the big shining star is the Asher Wiltecook section, which we keep trying to extend on both ends.
0: And you're the president of the Berkshire Bike Path Council.
4: Right. I wanted to talk about Bike Month, because in Massachusetts, it's May, is our Bay State Bike Month. And so we have planned activities throughout the whole county. There's kind of three focuses. One is to get people on bikes. And so we have rides. We have events every single day of May with rides that go from ride to school to mountain bikers, all kinds of cyclists, not just road people to very experienced riders, to beginner riders. We have little buttons that say, try to bike. Another big piece is bikes meet business. And we have passports that cyclists carry to participating stores and restaurants, the library. And you get stickers at each of these places and then you're eligible for prizes. We're also trying to have bike rides that start and end at a business. So we've had a pizza ride and we've had a morning breakfast ride and we have a sunset brewery ride to connect to the businesses downtown. And then a big focus of what we're working on is bike safety. And our theme is stay right, be bright, have a light. And Massachusetts passed the law that requires lights on bikes. And we've been handing out free lights, free helmets, to encourage safety for both adults and children. So it's been a very, very busy month. We have a lot of people. But when I think about LA, it's so huge that next to our little village here, we don't have anywhere near the numbers of people that you have, but we have more and more people on bikes. We have the challenge of the weather that you don't have, Mm -hmm. but we do have people who ride through the snow and on the ice. They put studs in their tires, and they just keep going. Wow. I mean, for a lot of people, bikes mm-hmm. are their way to commute in the Berkshires. We don't have, you know, trains, and we have a bus that comes once an hour. So people are pretty dependent on biking for commuting, and we want them to be safe.
0: Rio, this might be a good time to segue real quick to your business, your bike-like well, business. You, you have, well, like, these masks and these backpacks. The Backpack
5: doubles as a taillight
3: mm. mm-hmm.
5: and my backpacks display gif files photos logos i can put content from off tiktok off of my bags but i sit primarily sell headlights taillights wheel lights primarily usb wheel lights and i just launched my website rkmobile313.com r-k-m-o-b-i-l-e 313.com in Michigan, you have to have at least a headlight or tail light on your bicycle. It's not enforced in Detroit. So, if I see someone and I have a, you know, if I have a tail light or something on my I just give them the light. And for kids, I do a free light giveaway at my rides. Cuz when we were little kids, we didn't have bicycle lights in the 90s like mm-hmm. they do now or there were no absolutely no parades coming through our neighborhoods with the lights. We're trying to just be a canvas and promote safety.
4: Well, you know, What we've done is we're not in a place of giving out tickets and enforcing it, but we gave the lights to the police. And so the police in Pittsfield, Stockbridge, Lenox do stop people, but they give them a light. That is
5: an excellent idea. Yeah.
4: Yeah. When we first started this. They were hesitant to do it because obviously people don't want to be stopped by the police. But I think once they had something to give somebody and the person could see they weren't going to arrest them and nail them to the floor, they um, got more interested. And it is the law in Massachusetts that you have a light.
5: And it's a good way to build a positive relationship with the police and cyclists.
1: Yes. You know, cars come equipped with lights because it's the law that a car has a light, but bicycles, in states where it's a law that you have a front light and a back light don't come equipped with lights that that's an accessory that you have to then buy after the fact mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and if you do have to buy it go to
3: rkmobile313.com <laughs> that's
5: right <laughs> <laughs> our new sponsor i will send all of you some bike lights just let me know please
3: oh, i do want a bike light and also come out and let's all of you let's let's go ride in the ciclovias love it yeah
5: yeah I definitely am. Look out for pushing pedal sundays. Oh, and at the end of the month, I'm vending at Coop Day here, May 27th. And it's ran by G Mob, grown men on bikes. And it's one gonna be one of the biggest bike events in the Midwest. They're gonna be bikes from all over the country, fellowshipping with us. C O U P E day at Cass Park.
0: And Romel, you will see you in LA every month now. Yeah, almost every five weeks. We can catch you at the View. You'll be out there on your bike? I will be out there my bike. Oh, yeah. And Marjorie, where where to hear more about Bike Month?
4: Calendar.online slash Berkshire Bike Month. All
0: right. Thank well, you, Marjorie. Thanks for
1: being on Bike
3: Talk.
4: Yeah. So, well, it
5: was good to meet you, Mrs. Marjorie.
4: Nice to meet you. I'm going to look forward to seeing your lights. I want to
5: come to Massachusetts to come visit
4: y'all, too.
3: I want to come to Detroit.
1: Come. Thanks. All right. Thank you. It's great to hear all the stuff that's going around the country in Bike Month. I really like... uh Detroit, Massachusetts, Los Angeles are all getting involved.
3: Yeah. I'm serious about the names of the rides in Detroit. I I feel
0: envious. Well, Seamus, you have quite an interview coming up. Yes, I do. Okay. Last week, you interviewed Becca from Walk SF on AB645, the speed cam bill. This week, you've got California ACLU, which is opposing the bill.
1: Oh, wait a minute. The ACLU is opposing a bill that slows down cars on our streets?
0: Yeah. Becca kramer
3: Mouter. she works on surveillance for the ACLU, and and I guess that they see this legislation, AB 645, as specifically problematic.
1: Well, I want to hear this, because
3: I disagree with that. Yeah, I do too. Okay. Here it goes. Hello and welcome to Bike Talk. Today I am going to speak with Becca Kramer Mauder from the ACLU of California. Um, today I want to talk to her specifically about California Assembly Bill 645 Vehicles Speed Safety System Pilot Program. Many of us in the bike community are very much in favor of this legislation. Um, we also hold the ACLU in very high regard. and so it it's been a surprise to us, or you know, maybe somewhat disappointed to see your organization um, come out in opposition to it. And um, thank you for coming on today and and talking to us about it. So however, you'd like to introduce yourself and and kind of give us a couple points about it.
7: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, as you said, I'm Becca kramer Matter uh, with ACLU California Action. I'm a legislative advocate here, working on a variety of issues, including privacy and technology. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm excited to be here and talk about this bill. And I realize that while we have different views on the bill, um, I think the end goal of reducing speed-related traffic fatalities is a shared goal. Um, and so we'll, I'm excited to explore with you um, ways that we can get to that shared goal with uh, that, that are not as problematic for uh, civil rights and civil liberties, but that still will make the streets safer for bicyclists.
3: Thank you. And so I guess let's just go specifically, what is it about this legislation that um, the ACLU is opposed to?
7: So there's a couple areas that we're concerned with about this bill. Um, First of all, increasing surveillance always uh, causes us some concern. Oftentimes surveillance is wrongly conflated with making people safer. And we find that that's generally not the case. And so we're we're concerned about that. Also concerned about the um, automating enforcement and increasing ticketing and the disparate impact that that will have particularly on communities of color and communities um, of lower socioeconomic status. Um, And then there's also due process concerns with the bill as well in terms of how people can challenge those tickets um, and, and kind of what happens once you get the ticket.
3: Got it. I'm gonna pull up. The fact sheet goes into fines that are levied and it seems to be very low right and then there's even a a way for the t- the tickets will also be um reduced if you're at a certain poverty threshold if you meet certain points then then the ticket is reduced by half and i think the ticket is something like $25 to begin with is that is that correct
7: i don't remember the exact thresholds but there certainly are some protections in the bill that are that that intend to provide protect some protection But even there, they fall a little bit short. And so we find with ticketing in California, there's the base price of the ticket, which is what you're referring to of the lower um, cost than what you would normally get for a speeding ticket. But oftentimes we find that there are are fees and other penalties attached to the ticket that can make the cost jump pretty dramatically. Um, So uh, that the the lower price initially doesn't guarantee that people are actually only paying a lower fee later on. Um, And additionally, the person who was allegedly speeding at the time that the uh, automated camera captured it and, and sent the ticket might not even be the person who is receiving the ticket and being penalized for the the alleged speeding offense.
3: Um, That's right. It's the it's the car, right? It's the yeah. Car it's attached itself. to the car. That's right. But the car gets the ticket, and it's something similar to to a parking ticket, if I'm not mistaken. It, it, it is a fine levied on the car itself.
7: Exactly. It's levied on the car rather than on the driver. Um, yeah. We do appreciate some of those pieces that are built in, um, but there are other ways that the bill still falls short. So. For one thing, we know that um, in other places that have adopted this type of technology, the ticketing dramatically increases, um, sometimes without even re- resulting in fewer accidents. So for example, in um Chicago, back in 2021, um they they changed the rate at which the speed over the speed limit that you have to be going in order to get tickets and they dropped it down to six miles per hour above the speed limit Um, and that resulted in issuing nearly nine times as many tickets generating 89 million dollars in fines in just one year but pedestrian fatalities also increased that same year and so a lot of people were having significant impacts without actually lowering the the speeding fatalities. And so regardless of the ticket cost, um, it can, it's still gonna be cost prohibitive for a number of Californians. And if they're not able to pay their ticket, there can be cascading results of not being able to register your car, for example, which then potentially increases um, your liability for other types of tickets and could result in a, uh, in, in not being able to use your car to get to school or to work or medical appointments and such. And so particularly given that there are other options available that are permanent, that don't have any of these surveillance or racial or economic justice or due process concerns and will lower speeds, we think that's the route to go. And so rather than putting in these speed traps Put in speed bumps, put in roundabouts, put in traffic calming measures that are permanent. They're not going to go away if the city decides, oh, wait, this program isn't working or we're going to change our priorities and take the speed camera away. The speed bump's still going to be there forever. And it'll slow people down without Mm -hmm. these harmful um, uh, unintended consequences that speed Mm -hmm. camera programs have.
3: So this... This is a. You're right. This is a pilot program, and it goes away. Um, and, it, and it looks. I, ha- I found the fact sheet. Uh, but
7: even if it's not a pilot program, it could go away. We saw this with red light cameras, mm-hmm. um, where they were rolled out across California. They were supposed to reduce traffic mm-hmm. collisions. Um, it was actually found in some cases they increased certain types of traffic collisions because there were unintended consequences, and that they were not having the intended effect. And even after and they were supposedly permanent, now they've been rolled back and a number of places have gotten rid of their red light cameras. And so even if the speed trap program in um, AB 645 was made permanent, that doesn't mean that a city is gonna permanently have the camera there. Um, They can shift where the camera is located. The bill explicitly allows for mobile cameras, for example, and they might decide Hey, this is costing too much and not having the intended results, or there's something else we need to spend our money on. And so get rid of the camera. Um, mm-hmm. so whereas they can't, they're not going to take out the speed bump or the, the roundabout once that's put in. Got it.
3: Thank you. Um, so I for the from the perspective of, of a cyclist who you know, and, and or a pedestrian who mm-hmm. feels that these cars um really have you know, they, they go so fast in LA, it's like the number one leading cause of death for children or some, you know, it's, it's worse than guns. Um, how do we advocate and what, what, how do we get these cars to slow down? How do we get our streets to be safer in that regard? Like what, what are some of the avenues towards that, that the ACLU can support and how, how do you guys supported You know, previous legislation to that cause
7: um, so I do not work on on that, and I think that like speed bumps in and of themselves are not necessarily like a civil liberties issue. So I don't know that that's something that we have worked on. I can certainly look into whether there have been instances where we have worked on that. Um, but I do think that the traffic calming measures, designing the roads so that they are more walkable, more bikeable, that they inherently slow a car down, that it looks like a residential. Um, road rather than a highway going through your neighborhood those types of kind of road design matters are the better way to go because they don't have the unintended consequences but they will slow cars down they will make it safer for bicyclists safer for walkers Um, yeah growing up in davis which is a very bike town I'm, i'm very sympathetic to bikers wanting to feel safe on the road
3: um, the, and... I guess the only reason I, I, I mean, one of the reasons I asked that question is because some of the folks who, some of the other orgs that, that are opposing this, this bill are specifically um, organizations, you know, what Safer Streets LA or the National Motorist Association that, that have opposed traffic calming measures, you know, vigorously. And so it's, you know, we, we in bike advocacy, I think it it, it oftentimes feels like we're we're kind of trying to figure out a way to get the streets just to be safer we have, we don't really know we're, we're you know we have we get initiatives on ballots that are confusing to people any number of things but we're we're trying and so we would hope that the aclu i think um sees it say, do we not see pedestrian safety as a civil liberty like how, how you can walk around in your community without being mowed down by a
7: We think it is an important issue, and also let me clarify that just because we're on the same side of the issue as organizations that have opposed traffic calming measures does not mean that we are in alignment with them. Um, There's plenty of times where um, we end up on the same side of an issue for similar or different reasons with organizations that we regularly disagree with. So law enforcement has uh, in the past opposed some of these bills that are, um, that, that, AB 645 is the latest version of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we would be hard pressed for anyone to say that ACLU and law enforcement agree on all policies right. all the time, we, we don't. Um, and so but in this that. case, like with Safer Streets LA and the Motorist Association, we agree that with the concerns around um, how this bill is trying to accomplish the goal. Um, and and i will note that they you know we are they are on the same letter that we are on that does talk about the better direction is using traffic calming measures and that's the direction that the bill should go in instead of this i don't know if that what their policy is overall on traffic calming measures that hasn't been part of our conversation um but but they are on our letter where we're saying go in that direction instead. We,
3: we super appreciate that, we really do. And we. I just, I guess my question is, do you think the ACLU, if if this is kind of part of the point of like what, what we should be doing with this legislation instead is tr- focusing on traffic calming measures. Does the ACLU, could it support bills that focus on traffic calming measures like AB6, AB7? Um, you know, there's been many bills that that do that. I, I feel that if this is the talking point, could the ACLU then support one of these traffic calming bills in that same light?
7: Yeah, I would have to take it back to our folks who work on areas that are closer to that. I work I'm working on this bill because I work on surveillance issues. Uh-huh. Um, and traffic calming isn't surveillance uh, in and of itself, um, it's just an alternative to surveillance. so I would want to check in with our folks about what our policies are and where the boundaries of those are um, and how they might overlap and if there are ways that we could partner in the future.
3: It would mean a great deal. It really would because I, I know that um, you know nobody I don't know people that are in favor of this because it's surveillance. It really is the goal here to mm-hmm. to um, slow cars down because they totally. are people like crazy.
7: Totally. I, th- and that's why I started off by saying, you know, it's a shared, we, we understand the righteousness of the goal. It's yeah. just the way of getting to the goal that gives us some con- concern.
3: Yeah. And we definitely appreciate everything that the ACLU does for civil liberties without a question. So thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Really
7: appreciate it. the opportunity to talk with you. Have a good rest of your day.
0: Thanks for that interview, Seamus. Thank you, Nick. What I, did you think? <laughs> Becca talked about surveillance, like all you need to say is the word surveillance and you understand all the harm that comes with it. But this bill is surveilling people's license plates. The speed cams that this bill would put in don't film people. It's very specific about that. So what kind of expectation to privacy a license plate has? I-
3: the tickets are literally associated with the car, not any specific driver. They, they're like a parking ticket. So I found that frustrating as well. Also, it seems like this reduces interactions between police and um, drivers. I would think that is something that we can all get behind. The fees are not only very small, but they will reduce them at certain poverty levels. So cut them in half. And I I think they start at like $20. They go up with multiple infractions. Seamus, doesn't it only start at
1: 11 miles over the speed limit
0: anyways? It's something like that, but it really seems innocuous to me, the bill. The ACLU in California that opposes this bill, AB 645, might be looking at bad versions of this.
1: Well, I I would like to dig into this more, you guys. We should have someone else on um, because I'm a member of the ACLU and I support the ACLU, but I strongly disagree with their stance on this. And I hope we can speak to enough people at the ACLU or get the word out and get them to change their, their mind. We're in the middle of a pandemic of road violence.
3: To the ACLU and to Becca's credit, I mean, she did say she was going to look into that um, because the grounds that they oppose the legislation on is um, we prefer you know, traffic calming measures. And so I asked which traffic calming measure legislation have, has the ACLU supported if that's the case and why isn't um, street safety considered a civil liberties issue um, right if, if people are dying if kids are dying I th-
0: Taylor you mentioned the pandemic that's a, a classic case where we traded civil liberties for safety as Seamus mentioned it's the leading cause of death in children and speed is the leading factor in that so you know how important is the right to privacy of a person's license plate compared to the being the number one cause of death in children
3: right.
1: Mm-hmm. I look forward to talking about this more, you all.
3: Yeah, for sure. We all do support the ACLU and, and are grateful for the work that they do. I, I think that that we talk about that. It's just this is a very frustrating issue specifically for
0: us. Yeah, we just think they should read the bill. So now on the live side, we have a very positive, hopeful interview with a young man named Hafiz in Toronto who has gone to city council and presented Ways that they can fix the street, that they can put in bike and bus infrastructure. And he's like 18, right? Yeah, he's a like a prodigy. Wow, great. Let's hear it.
2: I'm speaking today with Hafiz, Twitter handle train guy 89, a University of Waterloo planning student from Toronto who is advocating for better public transit and active transportation in Toronto and in the Southern Ontario area where he lives and works and spends his time. So I want to start by asking you how you became interested in public transportation and active transportation. You're quite young. You're just now starting a bachelor's program. So talk to me about that.
8: Yeah. So I guess I've had an interest in transportation since I was young and I always loved to bike as well. So my sort of love for biking sort of transformed into this bigger passion for improving cycling and active transportation infrastructure and also because public transportation is really important. in Toronto It serves a lot of people and I also just love trains so all that different love for transportation in the city has really fostered in this big passion for improving transportation in cities.
2: How did you go from using transportation and biking around to thinking that there was an opportunity to actually improve things and make changes?
8: Oh, yeah. So basically, I used to live in Norco Park. So this neighborhood got painted bike lanes in 2018. But obviously, painted bike lanes are definitely not safe for anyone because especially a lot who bike in the neighborhood wouldn't really use the bike lanes, but they'd much rather use a sidewalk, which is separate from the cars. But obviously this is kind of dangerous for a lot of pedestrians in the community. So I was always really jealous of how downtown always got the protected bike lanes, but marginalized communities never got them. And I knew we could upgrade the bike lanes, to protected ones. And so I started advocating for that. And I also made a plan to show the city and the councilor how we could improve it. I got help from cycling advocacy organizations like Cycle Toronto and Cycle Don Valley Midtown and also neighborhood advocacy groups. And after, I think, two years, I was actually able to make that reality happen. And now Thorncliffe Park has protected bike lanes. It's great because a lot more people are now using the bike lanes. So that kind of kickstarted my cycling advocacy interests, and now moving on to citywide projects and to new initiatives.
2: It's great that you got to see the whole thing from start to finish, from pushing for this project and then seeing it become a reality. So can you talk a little more about kind of the situation in Toronto and in North and East Toronto in particular? A lot of your advocacy is focused on Scarborough and areas around there. So for people who aren't from Toronto, what's something you'd like them to know about those parts of Toronto?
8: Yes. So Scarborough is interesting because the city of Toronto, the region used to be six different cities, sometimes known as a six. So that's the reason that Scarborough now is like a borough of Toronto, which is great because now the city is bigger and more connected. But that means that some of the infrastructure that we've been advocating for in the city has more been sort of centralized in the downtown core. And the suburban boroughs of the city has been sort of been neglected in cycle infrastructure and active transportation infrastructure. Scarborough does have a trail network in the area. There's the Highland Creek, there's the Meadowway, which in the future will be this very nice and direct connection going all the way from the Rouge to the Don. So that will be very important. But right now, a lot of our on-road infrastructure, like bike lanes, are missing. And some of the infrastructure that we've installed in the past years has actually been removed because of controversy surrounding traffic delays. And local councillors can be very hesitant to even support bike lanes. So that's the big challenge that we're facing at the moment.
2: So there's a lot of need for this, but there's also some pushback and it's a very kind of traditionally car-centric area. Is that
8: some of the things that are at play there? The main thing with Scarborough as well is that there's also a lot of people who rely on transit, especially the low-income people who have to work and have to take the bus. The city recently cut service to a lot of the routes, especially in Scarborough, and this has been affecting people who work and live in Scarborough. So right now, Scarborough's kind of been underserved in terms of its public transportation, um, its rapid transit, and also its biking and walking infrastructure.
2: Do you see a synergy between active transportation and public transit? And can you talk a little bit more about how those can work together?
8: They definitely can work together. A lot of the trips that are made in Scarborough tend to be done by driving neighborhood amenities and places that people want to go to, like shops or schools are in pretty close distance, not close enough where people could walk, but someplace where people could easily bike to if there was safe infrastructure. A lot of times people have to drive there and it can be quite inconvenient to do that. Our group and many advocates in the city are looking at ways to bundle in active transportation improvements alongside the transit priority improvements. One way would be bundling in a trail alongside the bus lanes. And another way would be installing bike lanes and bus lanes rather than having them sort of combined. I presented this proposal to city council last week about how we could actually implement protected bike lanes alongside bus lanes, which would actually be really good for getting people out of the bus and onto other ways to get around so that the buses can have less crowding.
2: The city's current proposal is to have for the most part, shared bus and bike lanes alongside the buses in the same lane. So what are the downsides of having bikes and buses share the same lane?
8: Shared bus and bike lanes are certainly an improvement over the current status quo, which is cars can drive in any lane. But the main problem uh, comes with getting new cyclists onto biking on the road. It can be very scary to even ride on the road without protection And especially the bus is very frequent, this can make most cyclists feel pretty comfortable because there's a lot of buses passing. Generally, bus drivers are actually much nicer to pass than drivers. But even for me, I don't feel fully comfortable riding on the shared bus and bike lanes, but the design of them certainly accommodates them, but it doesn't make them feel comfortable or protected. So that's why I would try to advocate for uh, cycle tracks alongside those bus lanes.
2: Yeah, that provides infrastructure that's more accessible to more people than the current design. I watched your presentation to council on YouTube. What kind of feedback have you gotten from your presentation, either from council or from the public?
8: The staff definitely were intrigued about it, but I haven't heard back from them. And then the councillor, he asked me to forward him a copy. Considering he's sort of the councillor for the local area, but he's been kind of eh about bike lanes. I mean... He's like the same one who removed all the bike lanes in his wards. So there hasn't been much progress on that for like 10 years. So
2: It's a good sign, but maybe not all that needs to be done. So you're also working on a campaign that you created called the Lawrence East Prospect, which is capitalizing on a planned resurfacing of a section of Lawrence Avenue. And you're proposing that as part of this resurfacing, the city should also conduct some safety improvements and add some active transportation and maybe public transit facilities. So can you tell me about Lawrence Avenue and what your campaign is proposing?
8: Yes, yeah, so Lawrence Avenue, Easton Scarborough is currently a six lane major arterial road with the center turning lane. This sort of road design is it's quite insane if you think about it, because it's a lot of lanes for people to cross. And it's also quite dangerous because even with all those lanes, there's still no bike infrastructure and safe walking infrastructure or even transit priority. The 54 Lawrence is the fifth busiest bus route, according to the TDC. And also, according to the city, there's a lot of cycling demand with Lawrence Avenue East on the long-term list. And also, the city likes to bundle in additional improvements when they're doing road work to save time and money for the city. But what I'm seeing from the city is that they're not proposing any improvements, but to just go ahead and do the work and then get out of there to make the road smoother. But it won't make it better for anyone except for drivers. And that's why I would propose that we could make the road better for all. And that would involve a road diet that would add bus lanes to make transit better. We would add raised bike lanes to make it possible for people to ride their bikes on the road and potentially safety improvements like raised crossings and better pedestrian infrastructure. And this would also help The hundreds of businesses that are along this specific stretch that is being resurfaced. We know that businesses have been struggling over the past years, and complete street improvements is one way that we can make it possible for people to visit these businesses other than driving in a car.
2: I also wanted to bring up that Scarborough is notorious for pedestrian injuries and deaths. And you're talking about the width of Lawrence and the number of lanes. Maybe think of that because. So many roads in that part of Toronto are like that. Lots of lanes, intersections are far apart, and people are crossing mid-block, and it's really dangerous.
8: So will this also improve safety for pedestrians? Oh, I think so. The main reason why injuries and deaths in Scarborough and also other parts of Toronto are so high is because of the amount of road lanes. And also road widths that contribute to the speed drivers are traveling through intersections. And also the way that intersections are designed, their corners are really wide. So if a driver is turning right or left, this means that they can turn really wide. And because they don't have to slow down, this can mean that drivers, when they're turning, they can hit a pedestrian and it would cause an injury or death. And also even just all across the city, many drivers don't stop for red lights and then they go through the crosswalk and then hit someone. And it's far too common to see that. There's many safety improvements that the city can make even without major infrastructure changes. Things like no rights on reds, and advanced pedestrian signals and dedicated left turn phases. There's many ways that the city can improve it. It's just the political will to do that.
2: So you've done a lot of different types of advocacy presenting to council, social media and web design and interacting with people on the ground. Do you have a sense or an opinion about what's really effective advocacy and what do you think are the most effective ways to make change happen?
8: Yes, I think the main way to advocate for things, you can see a lot of stuff on social media, how like people are doing a lot. and It's like, we want this, we want that. But at the end of the day, it's really going in person and just talking to the people who will be affected or can be affected by the change. When I was advocating it back in Thorncliffe, the main way I could communicate with the residents was just being in person, just talking to the people in the parks and the community and really petitioning and advocating for that. Also, another important way is through the informal and direct social media links. So like through Instagram and WhatsApp, those are also great ways. But yeah, I think the main thing would just be going on the street where the people are and just talking to them and advocating to them for change and to get their support.
2: You're a student, like we said at the beginning, you've recently started a planning program at the University of Waterloo. And so I wanted to ask to close, what are your goals? And where do you see yourself going with these passions and with your career?
8: Yeah, so I hope to graduate with this degree in planning at Waterloo. And I hope to, through my co-op experiences, gain more experience as a planner, but also as an advocate. Even while I'm in university, I still plan to do more initiatives and campaigns to improve my city and also other cities that i move to if i may because i know that my skill set and my experiences are very important and they're also quite valuable and there's also many other cities that we need to improve as well toronto although it has its flaws it might not even compare to a lot of cities in north america there's so much potential and there's so much that we need to change that i can't sit still and just let nothing happen so there's a lot of exciting stuff in the future so yeah
2: are you still riding a bike?
8: Yes, I actually just rode my bike today. I went to this campaign event that was for mayoral candidate. And then it was like just a 10 minute ride on my e-bike. So it was great.
2: Amazing. Just to close, can you talk about a moment where you felt joy when you were riding your bike?
8: Yeah, so I think it was probably the first year of COVID, like 2020, really riding my bike was the only way I could get out of the house and sort of restore my sanity, honestly. so. When Active happened and they closed down Lakeshore Boulevard, we could just freely ride our bikes on Lakeshore. And that was just a pure moment of joy. And I just rode all across the city over the past few years, just exploring new trails and bike lanes and areas of the city that I've never seen before. Yeah, I think that was probably just the best moments, uh, just exploring new places with my bike and just being there and just seeing something you've never seen before is like a truly surreal experience. So yeah.
2: You did a ride last year, I think, where you rode one of the subway lines in Toronto from N Ten.
8: I actually rode three of them.
2: Three of them, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me. I'm talking with Hafiz Train Guy eighty nine on Twitter, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and all the great work that you're doing. And I wish
8: you all the best. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me to chat.
0: And that was Madeline bonsma Fisher in Toronto with another great interview with Hafiz. He's great. This guy no? 18 an up and comer.
1: Right. Well, next up is uh, I have a short interview with Lindsay, Lindsay Sturman, who's not with us today, but she was the keynote speaker at traffic con. And I asked her if she had to dress up like a stoplight or something, you know, to go there. And she said, no, she went in regular clothes. Here's Lindsay Sturman. Hey, Taylor. Um, you know, I- I've heard of comic con, but I've never heard of transit con. What is that?
9: TransitCon is this amazing conference and it's to create a space for people to share ideas, learn from experts and collaborate on building sustainable vibrant urban communities. Right. So it's about transit, it's about bikes, it's about uh density and all the things we love. I did open it. It was really fun to talk to transit people about bikes. And I try to, you know, implore the transit community that we need that first mile last mile solution, and that's bikes and scooters. And we're building the bike lanes wrong.
6: right. Well, I, I
1: wanted to talk about that because you have this article, Something magical happens when bike lanes are safe. I teach a class at UCLA and I ride my bike to that class. UCLA in Westwood in in Los Angeles is one of the biggest employment centers, one of the biggest student centers in the region. And I can't tell you how difficult and unsafe it is to ride my bike there from my class and to ride home afterwards. And then there's just a bike stripe and then there's no bike lane. So I'm forced at times to ride on the sidewalk and take the whole lane where cars are going 40 or 50 or 60 miles an hour sometimes. So what's wrong with how these bike lanes are set up?
9: So many things are wrong with the picture you just painted. And the biggest factor is just the speed. Speed is so deadly and it's so deadly so quickly because it's exponential. So at 20 miles an hour, you have a 10% chance of dying, which is scary enough. Nobody in their right mind would participate in any activity with a 10% chance of death if we really understood it. At 45 miles an hour, you have almost no chance of surviving. It's, you know, 99%. It's so horrific. When we were kids, the freeways went 45 miles an hour. Now, our streets are 45 miles an hour, our residential streets. So what is safe? The Dutch say 15 miles an hour. For children, it's really nine miles an hour. And I think we just have to constantly ask ourselves the question, what is the speed we want a car going when they hit a person? they hit someone we know, a loved one. And the answer when you really ask people is zero. People don't want other people hit by cars. And we we are not building bike lanes that are safe from fast cars. And if you do that, you will get 80% of people will bike. If you do it with problems, you only get 8%. And if you do it the way we're doing it, you get 1%. Brave, fit people like you right. and I am neither fit nor brave and <laughs> I do not have any sh- plans to change that situation, but I want a bike. I want to get on a trike with a basket or an upright bike and go and do all my grocery shopping and all my errands. I would do all of that if it were safe. If and it were safe, right. There's a ceiling where people just will not engage in behavior that feels scary to them. I think if we rethink a place like Westwood Village, The businesses want it more pedestrianized. The the students and the university want it more pedestrianized. Um, All the stakeholders.
1: Well, then, then why for such a long time did the city council person who represented Westwood not even do a traffic study along Westwood because there was so much pushback? Is that because we're not getting the word out or that people are ignorant to some of these things? What's the
9: sticking point? People who fight bike lanes, sometimes they have a family member who bikes. They know they're so unsafe that quote unquote, nobody will use them. And what they're correct about is we put in bad bike lanes and no one uses them. To me, the solution is to find small areas that are say dead end streets that touch high quality transit. We have world-class transit infrastructure in our Metro and no one uses it because you can't get to it. So find areas where we can really test out truly safe Dutch level mobility and that's there can be cars, but they have to go so slow, you literally would be comfortable with somebody getting hit by that car. And that's right. like nine miles an hour. This mixing of bikes and cars on a busy street does not work. And at least it doesn't work today. And it hasn't worked in the last 25 years. They've been doing this. So we need to figure out a way to officially wrap up these conversations about how do we mix bikes and cars? We spend so much time trying to figure out that that out. We have to stop. It's like, we don't mix sidewalks and cars.
1: Lindsay, you talk about the Dutch level bike lanes. What does that mean exactly?
9: Yeah, the Dutch basically have three bike lanes. If the cars are going 30 miles an hour, it's separated. If the cars are going under 18 miles an hour, 30 kilometers an hour, then you have a protected bike lane and they're highly engineered. Everything is it's done to such a degree. It's almost impossible to get killed they force the drivers to do a 90 degree turn go up on a speed table they're pavers so they feel that bumpity bump and they slow down so there will be collisions but they'll be survivable but right. what they really do is they do one it's a shared street but it's basically a car free street
1: what did you call it
9: a winnerf w-o-o nerf like nerf football Winnerf. sure
1: i love that I know, it's W-O-N-E-R-F. an excellent
9: dutch word And it really just means the cars are under 15 miles an hour, you know, nine miles an hour. They're incredibly safe and it's for somebody who is dropping something off or they live there and it's ADA. It's really a car-free community. And if you go to Amsterdam or watch those videos online, there's tons of them. Then everybody bikes. We have to always think about how fast do we want these cars going in collisions. We have to think about, can we give up some street space to have these wonderful, bikeable communities where people who don't want to own a car, can't afford a car, can't drive, can live, and that's where you can put our housing. And Westwood Village, by the way, is perfect because, as you said, you have 63,000 people driving in every day.
1: My goodness, what
9: if they could live there?
1: Yeah. You know, I want to go back to your article really quick. You you say at one point, um, it only takes a few loud voices relentlessly harassing local elected officials and speaking out at public meetings to destroy the political will to expand bike networks. That just happened in Los Angeles in Culver City. Culver City had been very progressive in developing um, bus rapid transit lanes and bike lanes, and a new conservative city council came in and took, took much of them away. How do we turn NIMBYs into YIMBYs?
9: It takes listening. And um, I'm part of a group that did a ton of phone banking and texting during the elections. And so we got really good at talking to Republicans about voting for Joe Biden. So you can't finger wag and scold. They just dig in. But if you hear their concerns and try to persuade them, a lot of people are very persuadable. And I think with NIMBYs, people who fight housing, people who fight bikes, you really can get to a compromised position because right now we are going to have tents until we build housing and we are going to have gridlocked traffic until we fix our mobility. Every street on the West side is over capacity for hours a right. day. It's cooked, we're done. There's nothing left to do except mobility. You, you can't fix right. the situation. And that's why people are so stressed about more cars. NIMBYs, and you know they don't like that term. So let's just call it you know people who fight housing. They can get on board with 15-minute cities. Everybody can get on board with 15-minute cities. You have to be thoughtful about it. And right. I think just saying to people, what can you say yes to? Because if you say no, we will continue to have gridlock and tense. So we need to say yes to something. And then you sit and now you go through a million ideas and people really come around and they start to dream big about you know what, what's possible.
1: Uh, Lindsay, where can they find the article that you wrote?
9: You can go to livablecommunitiesinitiative.com and it's one of our blog posts.
1: Great. And is your um, transit con speech up on the web anywhere or not?
9: Yeah. It's going to be on YouTube today.
0: Lindsay, thanks a lot. Thanks, Taylor. Well, thanks, everyone. Seamus, Taylor.
3: Yeah, thanks for tuning in. Miss you, Lindsay. I know you're out there listening
1: to this. And if you like the show, you can support us on Patreon. You can go to biketalk.org and find us there. And if you want a Bike Talk t-shirt that Seamus got free for his birthday... You can also reach out to us and we'll send you a Bike Talk t-shirt. How much are they, Nick? It's a $20 donation. $20 donation and you get a Bike Talk t-shirt. They're cool. Have a good week, everybody, and ride safe. Be safe out there.
0: And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week.